and welcome back to another episode of Grid and Grace Leadership Talks with myself, Kate Taylor. I am so excited because I have another special guest for you all today uh, to interview. Her name is Carolyn Burrows and she runs her own mindful living private practice for eight years um, and she's an EMDR trainer for the past four years in Melbourne. And um, I want to ask her how she got to where she got to with her career and what she's doing now as an accredited mental health social worker and psychotherapist. So welcome, Caroline. Thank you, Kate, for having me. It's really lovely to be here. Oh, I'm so glad we finally got to connect and uh, oh, have a chat yeah. today. <laughs> yeah, it's been lovely. I feel like I've known you for some years online, but finally we're talking directly face-to-face -face, or as face-to-face -face as online is. I know, right? That's awesome. Um, eventually we'll get that, you know, coffee when I get to Melbourne next time or you come to Sydney, hey? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh. um, so I've got a few questions that I ask everyone that I interview. And the first one is, can you tell us about your morning ritual and your routine that you do, like that you find helps set you up for success in your day? Do you know this is a very timely question, Kate, because I'm actually making some tweaks to this at the moment oh. because I've okay. actually been finding that I've not been setting myself up for success in recent months and I'm making some adjustments. So I actually do have some things to say on this, but I'm very keen to share that I am uh, I, I'm really a person that typically is a night owl and I'm actually not much okay. of a morning person. The first okay. thing that I'm noticing that's making a positive difference for me at the moment is making sure that I, this sounds crazy that I even need to be explicit about this, but getting out of bed and getting yep. dressed before yep. opening my laptop. I was finding that I was literally waking up and opening my laptop and tinkering with emails while still in bed, and it's not great. And I'm a bit ashamed to even admit that I was doing that, but, but for, for a long time I felt this this I guess this this sense of urgency to, to get straight into things in the morning and it yeah. just would set me up for for a, a poor start to the day so I'd often then yeah. neglect things like breakfast or going for a morning walk and so what I'm now doing very consciously is getting up not checking my phone not checking my laptop having a shower getting dressed and only getting those things out once I'm I'm up and about and doing it in my yes. study rather than in bed. So that's one thing that's making that's a really positive okay. difference. I think having breakfast every morning, I'm somebody that really yeah. needs food to feel energised. And so having yeah. breakfast, and I'm actually really enjoying even making something that I feel is a bit special. So, you know, like eggs on toast or something. So something that feels yeah. like it's it, it actually, you know, takes right. a few extra minutes but it's nourishing. And yes. thirdly, this is a really kind of interesting random one. I've actually started reading a physical newspaper in the mornings. Ooh, I hadn't done that. I hadn't done that for years. I'd obviously, you know, check the news um, on my phone and things. But I've actually yes. been, when I go for a morning walk, actually picking up a newspaper and sitting down with the physical paper with my breakfast and a cup of tea and I'm not sure how to describe what it feels like it just feels a little bit a little bit not luxe but just it's just intentionally pacing the morning and yes. as you say it's a bit old school something physical and it just really yes. it invites me to sit that bit longer whereas if I'm having breakfast and I've got my phone in my hand I'm often just on the run or on the go. That's right. So the, yeah, these are a few right. things that I'm finding is setting me up for success in the morning. 
Oh, that's brilliant. And it's so important um, to do that because I'm finding, um, yeah, if I can, I mean, I do check my phone when I first get up, but I try not to respond to anything urgent. I'll just like sit on it, go get ready. And I have a ritual as well about getting up, getting showered, doing my hair and makeup, getting ready for the day in my clothes that I feel really successful in and feel good in. Um, Whether I'm going into the office or staying, working from home, I still get dressed as if I'm going to work. So I get into that work mode. Um, My Mm. brain is like, yep, whether you're working from home and like you said, going to the desk um, in your home office or whatever that is and actually sitting there and doing your work from there rather than from your bed or the couch, it can easily, you know, get distracted (laughs) by other things. And I feel I'm not as motivated when I'm not in a routine or structure like sitting at a desk somewhere. Yeah. I love yeah. it. And, and I really resonate with that idea of getting dressed, even if we're not actually leaving the house for the day of work. Um, I must say, I'm not someone that does that. I tend to be the person who looks gorgeous from the sort of the head down to waist and then wearing the, the pajama pants or the trackies and the slippers. But I actually really, uh, really think that's a beautiful idea. And I know several people that do say that that really helps to keep them motivated and feeling productive. So that's a really great idea. Yeah, I think um, I just feel like less I don't know, in myself, less motivated and less kind of in my work zone if I'm kind of half ready. I don't know. I know some people can do that um, because I know the top half is always, (laughs) that was saying post-COVID, like, you know, if you take people at work outfits for the day, it's like their PJs on the bottom or trackies and then they're like suit and tie on the top with their suit jacket. (laughs) Oh, yeah. 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 Um, We all got a bit uh, relaxed, I think. in COVID with that and you know I do think you can dress down like maybe on a on your work from home day you wear a pair of jeans instead of a you know a proper work skirt or something but still Mm. getting dressed it's that it's that kind of ritual for me and that self-care that I find my husband gets my daughter ready in the morning and then I'll have half an hour to myself to get ready um and and then I come downstairs and see everyone and Mm. oh it's just the best thing because I just need that for me in the morning just to get in the zone kind of get my head together with whatever I have to face that day. Yeah, um, I love that. Yeah. Yeah, so important. Um, and obviously um, you've been on quite a journey, uh, career path, I imagine, to get to setting up your own business in private practice. I'd love to know your career path and, like, where you started out and how did you get to decide to be in private practice as an accredited mental health social worker? So I went straight into studying social work from high school. So my first year was actually a health sciences degree and I articulated after one year into social work and worked as a social worker in family services roles. So working in families' homes, assisting with parenting strategies and families that had a lot of really difficult circumstances ranging from family violence to drug and alcohol difficulties, mental health concerns. I actually feel rather sheepish and a bit amused when I look back on those very early days because I was young and I was told at the time that I looked very young. Some families were very kind and didn't mention that, but I certainly had the odd person that wasn't especially keen to have a a 21-year-old turn up on my 
keys in my car that I was then, or the fleet car that I was then transporting the family around in. It's all a bit amusing when I look back on it. But And I, I, I didn't have children. I, I didn't know much at all about parenting, to be perfectly honest. And I was trying to support these families that were linked with child protection to, wow. to better parent their kids. And, and, and ultimately, it was it was where I had to start, but it was not a role that I stayed in for, for, for that long. So after about four years, I really identified that I had a particular interest in mental health. What I was finding was I was working a lot with these families and I just had enormous empathy for the parents because I could see that they had experienced often a lot of their own trauma and intergenerational poverty and difficulties with their mental health that were impacting on their parenting. And that led me down a path of specialising as a social worker in mental health and psychotherapy. So I did a a graduate diploma and then a master's in psychotherapy, which essentially psychotherapy is is sort of deeper, longer-term counselling. That's what that means. And that then led me into firstly generalist counselling roles, so supporting people with depression and anxiety and a range of difficulties. And then I landed a job that really was the most formative role in my career to date, which was working for a sexual assault counselling service. And I worked in that role for seven years. And in that role, I I further honed my my focus to trauma as being my area of particular niche. And that led me to learn, amongst other trauma therapies, something called EMDR, which is eye movement desensitization reprocessing, which is a a trauma focused psychotherapy. And that then really was the the turning point in my career. So I have dedicated really the last 10 years of my career to my special interest in EMDR. And at the time when I was working in the sexual assault counselling role, I identified that I wanted to have a bit more autonomy and to be able to create something of my own. And so I started my own private practice as a solo practitioner, which is not uncommon when someone's working in a job to start to dabble in private practice. So it started being just three clients of an evening, one evening a week, perhaps then on a Saturday. And after a while, I was working six days a week across both jobs and then progressively reduced my my hours in that role. And and for several years, did work in employed positions alongside a part-time private practice. But then that really progressively developed into full-time private practice. And I guess what really led me into that practice was EMDR at the time, which was over 10 years ago, was not nearly as well known and mainstream in Australia as it is now. And so I really identified, I guess, a bit of a gap in the market and felt that I was able to offer something that was a bit unique. And quite quickly, the the private practice started to, to really gain traction and it's grown since when I developed it eight years ago as a solo practitioner on my own. Over the last eight years, it's now developed into a practice where I lead a team of 22 people now. Yeah. So, and I'm very wow. proud to say it's, it's, it's growing leaps and bounds. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Amazing. And yeah, I've um, I've seen your journey with EMDR and how you train and um, teach others in it. And it's something that um, my psychologist actually recommended for myself in my history. And, um, and I, I, yeah, I'm curious. Um, you know, I'm, I haven't actually done it yet, I'll be honest. Um, he keeps saying, you've got to find a time in your life where you haven't got lots going on so you can really get the most out of it. Um, and, yeah, so I'm still um, deciding when to do that. But I think um, it's really important, I think, with people who have gone through trauma, um, who have gone through, you know, traumatic grief and loss or things like that in their life where um, 
I guess, is it also recommended for people that like trauma maybe from childhood and then they come as an adult, they're going, I, I want to process this in a deeper way? Like when would you recommend EMDR to people? Yeah, that's right. Essentially, it is it is a therapy that is concerned with the link between the difficulties someone's having today. So that could be depression, it could be anxiety, it could be self-worth issues, uh, grief and loss, it could be a range of issues. What is the link between today's issues and past experiences? And I would actually encourage people not to just think trauma, but just to think painful life experiences that have okay. not felt uh, that the person feels that they have not been able to overcome. So that could yeah. be in childhood. It could be very early yeah. experiences of feeling um, unwanted or unloved or neglected. It could be bullying at school. Yeah. It could be those more sort of traditional traumatic events, things like a car accident or a bushfire or right. an assault. It certainly yeah. can be traumatic loss. It can be medical yeah. experiences that have been really difficult. It could be relationship breakups. It could be a redundancy. It could be any experience in our life that has impacted yeah. us in a negative way and is continuing to have a legacy today. Wow. And how many sessions do most people usually have depending on their need or what they come for like do you find there's a recommended amount that usually people have it's really difficult to say because it depends on the specific circumstances if a person was coming with a fairly a fairly contained issue such as anxiety driving because of a car accident we yes. may well be able to resolve all of that within say five or six sessions if a person's wanting to work on on deeper experiences in their in their young years their childhood or adolescence then that typically would take several months at least okay and do you recommend it weekly fortnightly or how yeah, much time typically, typically people would have an emdr therapy session every week or every second week and there's a, a momentum that builds over the course of of a consistent sessions um something that we are now delivering at mindful living which is my private practice is actually intensive emdr so for someone who may not want to have more that longer term therapy they might want to do a much more intensive shorter term piece of yeah. work and they have the time and the financial resources to do that they may come for a two-week block where they have three sessions that are double sessions in length three sessions yeah. each week for two weeks which is the equivalent of 12 standard sessions wow. in a two-week period so people can do it in different ways actually depending on how urgently they feel they need relief from the experience yeah. that they're struggling with but also how much time they have and and how much resource I suppose financial resources they have to be able to invest in it um, in a short space of time as well. Wow. And can you claim um, the sessions through your mental health plan? Is that Certainly. Yes. Yes. So it's a subsidy through Medicare. So there's an out-of-pocket gap, but there is certainly yep. an assistance that Medicare can provide to um, essentially offset the fee. Yeah, that's great. And I, yeah, I encourage people to talk to your GP if you need that mental health plan, that referral um, to see someone like Caroline. Definitely, um, you know, don't be afraid to do that. It's um, whether it's just counselling or whether it's going into more a therapy like EMDR, definitely um, be open-minded because you just never know um, what may help you in your journey. I recently um, worked with a lady around some timeline therapy, which I think might be a little similar but different way of doing it, um, and it's helped me process a lot of stuff that I didn't realise was coming from childhood stuff too. So um, that's been really powerful for me and kind of, you know, when you're just like, oh, I feel like there's something missing and I can't quite yeah. put my finger on where this comes from or why I'm feeling this way. And then it's helped me understand those feelings and limiting beliefs in a more deeper way and process the learnings from that. So that's been quite um, eye-opening for me personally. Mm, wonderful. Yeah, good yeah. on you. 
I'm always open to um, trying different things and um, seeing what can help me be and grow a, and be a better person. I think someone with lived experience in mental health as a teenager in recent years um, on my fertility journey, I've realized that, you know, I can't do this alone and I need to have support of those around me, professionals to help me, um, like counsellors, psychologists and business coaches and things just to get me through those times in your life. And, um, yeah, I think it's really important that we, um, you know, make normalise that, you know, and it's not something that we should feel embarrassed about or ashamed of, but we're all, we're all human. And as business owners, we have a lot of pressure on us. People expect us to have all the answers, to almost be like the god of the business, to have everything together and at the end of the day, we are human and if we want to keep going and be the best version of ourselves for our teams and for our kids and for our partners or, you know, whoever it is in our lives, we need to keep growing and we keep working on ourselves. And I think um, that's something that I've never regretted investing in is that um, that time in my own well-being and mental health mm-hmm. along the way. Mm-hmm. Um, well said, Kate, well said. <laughs> and um, so how long... Um, like obviously you specialize in EMDR and your business has been around eight years now, you were saying. Um, do you specialize in other treatments there as well? Mm. There- so at my, yes, at Mindful Living I lead a team of, of psychologists and psychotherapists yep. and mental health social workers and counsellors. And across the team, some of our team members have a special focus and experience working with children and adolescents or teenagers and others are really well versed in couple therapy we've got some family therapists on our team so really working across the lifespan with different types of clients and with regards to other psychotherapies or or models of therapy in addition to EMDR um, the name mindful living stemmed really from my my grounding or my my foundational skills in something called mindfulness that you might have heard of before and okay. it's quite a, a popular concept in in our in our western culture these days but that idea of really taking steps to stay as present in the here and now as we can yeah. and to to anchor ourselves in the here and now rather than spending our lives essentially you know dwelling on or regretting the past or fearing the yeah. future so mindfulness skills and a range of therapies around that are really are really important to us at mindful living we also yeah. do work around the connection between mind and body so not body therapies as in massage or things but but psychotherapy that is really concerned with the body and being able to help people to feel safe in their body because when we work with trauma which is our special area of interest at mindful living we're often working with people where where the body feels feel it feels very threatening or unsafe due to trauma so we definitely support our clients with that and i'll also mention that we actually have a therapy dog at mindful living called locky and we are excited to hopefully get some more therapy dogs in the clinic over the years to come including my 15 month old puppy willow who's a buff head and completely inappropriate at the moment because she's so bouncy she's a groodle and if you know anything about them they're just exuberant kind of like me like mother like daughter she's a bit bouncy and over the top but uh, in time my hope is she will be a trained therapy dog and come and join us in the practice as well oh wow yeah i know you've got a few fur babies um that you looked after and you post about them and yeah, it's so um, powerful, isn't that, that animal therapy to, especially with, do you find that really helps children um, when they come in to calm down and things like that? Yeah, absolutely. As well as adults, actually. I think everybody yeah. okay. um, every, everybody can benefit from animal-assisted therapy if animals is something that they resonate with. Yeah, that's great. And 
Um, in terms of uh, people that may want to go down a similar path to yourself, they're like working um, for someone else right now or they're trying to build up their, like as a sole trader, like their private practice hours and want to make that transition um, into private practice, um, what advice would you give someone looking to do that? The first thing is to invest in business coaching. Now, I think a lot of people may think that that's not a investment worth making when we're starting out or when we're really small. But certainly for me, I think that's been the number one most invaluable resource that I've drawn on over the course of my career in private practice. And I think starting with business coaching in the early days actually really supports practitioners to be able to start the way they want to continue. So what I mean by that is when you start a practice, often if you're a solo practitioner on your own, it can feel like, oh, I don't need policies. I don't need frameworks. I don't need big systems. It's just me, right? Or if you have one person join you in the practice, say, as a contractor or as an employee, it might feel like, oh, you know, I know this person. It's just one one person, I don't need a, a, a legal contract. We can just, you know, not a handshake, but, you know, we can just type up a document. I remember my first contractor that I had, so a clinician that worked in my practice who saw clients in my business and, and worked for me in a contracting capacity. Because we knew each other from a previous job, we had a very informal arrangement whereby she would invoice me by sending me a text message every fortnight. Oh, I've seen 20 clients this fortnight. You owe me this amount of money. Now, we often laugh about it because she's still in the business now. So that's a good news story where it's worked well. But I've certainly had occasions where starting off really informally has then become really challenging when the practice grows Yes, And formality is a necessity as it grows. And then having to bring in more formal documentation and expectations can actually be really awkward if you started off on more of that friendship level or where it's been really casual. And I actually think that if I'd had business coaching from the very beginning, I probably would have avoided that pitfall. I think I would have been given the advice from the beginning that you don't need to spend $20,000 on legal contracts, but make sure you start things off formally. You make sure that you've got things and systems in place that are going to just set you up for success so I think that's the first thing and the second thing for me is about Mm. yes the second thing for me is about having peer support so connecting in with a network of other business owners and for me that hasn't just been business owners in the allied health space that I work in it's actually also been business owners women particularly across all industries but I've done various group coaching programs and I have developed such close uh, and and supportive friendships with other business owners because as you would know Kate it's a unique experience to run one's own business it's it's deeply rewarding and meaningful but it's extremely challenging and I think to have that peer support so that when something goes wrong or something happens inevitably there will be challenges those are the people that I've turned to that have been able to support me the most because they actually understand what it's like and can provide me with guidance and essentially mentoring, but it's reciprocal. So I can provide that, they can provide that to me. So I think don't do it alone. I think even in solo practice where on our own, perhaps we may not have a team that we lead, link in with other practice owners to give you that support and to reduce isolation. Yeah, I I think that's really, really important. I um, am the same as you. I kind of got, got a business coach probably five years into my business and was it turned me my business around? I used Ray Marty, who I featured on this podcast a few like the first episode, um, and she was the person that I'd heard speak at an event, and I really aligned with what she said and what she did. 
And she, I was in a bad place actually in my business at the time. And I was like, I don't know what to do. My husband was, does my accounts and he was like, you've got three months of income here. What are you going to do? You know, like you've got to, you've got to turn this around. And we'd lost like a hundred grand worth of sales that we thought were coming in, didn't come off. And it was just in a bad way. Right. And I wish I had found her when I wasn't in that hole. Like I wish it had been like I'd got, had avoided that, you know, um, but what she did was she helped me do a 180 in my business um, and just said, look, I'll give you six sessions with me. Um, you don't have to pay me, but not all coaches will do this. But at the time, she's like, I can see you're in a difficult situation and I want to help you. Um, and if I turn it around, then you can pay me. And I was like, all right, done. And so we worked together for over three months every fortnight. And, she, and then it literally gave me the courage and the strength and the ability to just pick myself back up and fight for what I wanted to for my business and ended up having our best quarter in sales after that and um, ended up winning two business awards, which I didn't anticipate either in 2018. So, you know, it just goes to show like, I it's like if you want to get fit, you go to PT, right? Or if you want to be like, even Olympic athletes will get a coach, you know, to help them become the best and to stay at that peak level. And so I've learned over the years that the power of business coaching is so critical to um, set you up to accelerate, like you said, get things in place, um, help you take your business probably more seriously um, and to not, you know, and think bigger picture as well, like who you're impacting by how you show up and what you do and and kind of um, rejigging things a bit to make it work better and to motivate your team and to attract the right people to your business too. Um, I've learned a lot about that over the years. <laughs> oh, yeah, me too. Um, so, you know, so I think, um, yeah, it's a really powerful advice and definitely encourage that networking as well in the community. Um, I know I've connected with like-minded business owners, like you said, as well. Um, and also I've gone to things like business chicks events and mm -hmm. tried to network there. And, um, you know, in our industry body, we have um, a, a group of 10 business owners. We all meet every eight to 12 weeks um, and connect a mastermind over challenges we're having. So I do think um, all those things have helped me last the distance in business for so many years. Do, do, do you know, it's interesting you said that, that the phrase go the distance just was in my mind. So I really resonate. I, I, I genuinely and sincerely believe that I would not have continued as long as I have if I did yeah. not have both the professional support of a coach, but also, and probably even more importantly, the camaraderie and the solidarity from other business owners. It is, it is really the difference, I think, between losing one's sanity and feeling, you know, that sense of deep loneliness. Like we talk about how it's lonely at the top, but it actually is. When you're leading a team or a group practice or any business, we need yeah. to make difficult decisions at times. Uh, people look to us for, I mean, I still remember during the pandemic, Kate, um, just whenever Dan Andrews, because I'm in Victoria, would make an announcement, I'd have to be right there in front of the TV, ready, yeah. pen poised. What does this mean? Because my team, understandably, would look to me for, for, for what, what what does this mean for us? What's the yes. change? And that constant to the shifting and adapting. And I think having having the support of colleagues who are in the same position or in similar scenarios um, makes really all the difference. And it actually makes it a very enjoyable experience because you do have this whole connection and community and sense of, of yeah, sense of, of camaraderie, as I said, and solidarity. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. It's so important. I had the same problem with uh, our Premier Gladys in COVID, um, you know, announcing on a Saturday at two o'clock, I'll never forget it, that we're going into lockdown. 
And I'm like, why did you not tell us on a Friday? Like we could have got our businesses organized. <laughs> like, and I haven't, I had this gut feeling we were going to go into lockdown. I just, my, and trusting intuition is so important because I was like, I'm just, I said to myself, let's just go into the office and sort a few things out. I just have this feeling I need to get organized. Um, and because I don't know what's coming. And thankfully I did. I'd gone and done a big grocery shop the day before. So I wasn't frantically going to the supermarket like everyone else. Um, and I'd gone into the office to like set up everything. And, to, and I said to the team, if you need stuff um, to be working remotely, we weren't set up for that. I had to say to them, come and get it. You know, you've got um, today to come and get it. Um, and then, because I think they said they announced at two o'clock and then you had until 6 p.m before everything was going to shut down. So it was like four hours notice. Like, what? who does that? Oh, dear. They, 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 these are times we will never forget. And as business owners, they're challenges that we will never forget as well. But we'll we, uh, we made it. We made, we it. made yep. it. We made it. Yeah, because then we went into four months of homeschooling and work. <laughs> oh. Oh, but you guys had way more than us, so I don't know. And yeah, you were right. Like everyone was like, so what does this mean? Like, and then we were like, well, we're trying to work out what it means too. <laughs> yeah. As business owners, like what's that going to impact us and our clients and everyone? Um, but what it showed me was that um, this is a good point that, um, you know, I started having my psychology sessions on Teams or like Zoom, I think it was, uh, with my psychologist. And actually now, um, if I don't have time to go in and meet him, I quite enjoy just having a, a Zoom with him and just, you know, talking about whatever's going on for me for an hour. And, um, you know, same with my business coach. Um, she's based in Canberra and I'm in Sydney. So it just goes to show that not the best person for you and your problems and what you're trying to process or deal with may not be in your local area. So don't be afraid to look nationally for the right person to work with because um, I found teams just as powerful um, as face to I know face to face you can't beat it but you know what I mean I found it equally just as beneficial and perfect during COVID um, to do that telehealth session instead to still keep getting what I need and it also kept you know um, up the psychs in business I guess during that time to be able to do that right because some businesses you just have to be in person so um, you know it's great that you've been able to set that up now I guess do you offer um, telehealth at your business? People? Yeah, we we, yeah. we do. And, and that's both the therapy at Mindful Living, but also my training and consultancy as well. It's actually really opened up so many more possibilities to, as you say, to go nationally. And it means yeah. that I now provide um, mentoring and, and essentially not coaching as in business coaching, but I do a lot yeah. of what we call professional consultation in EMDR. So that's supporting EMDR yeah. trained mental health clinicians. We meet either one on one, I meet with them or in a small group and I teach them essentially and support them and provide them with um, guidance as they use EMDR in their clinical practice. And I do that online, and that enables me to see people from all over Australia. And wow. certainly at Mindful Living, we deliver that therapy um, online as well as in person. Yeah, it's definitely uh, changed up how we um, do business. And it means I don't get to Melbourne as much now because all my clients are happy just to do a Teams. <laughs> I'm like, I want to come and visit. <laughs> They used to roll out the red carpet for me when I'd come to Melbourne and now it's like, oh, oh I don't know if I'll be in the office that day. Oh, I'm working from home. Um, oh, can we just do a Teams? And I'm like, oh. <laughs> so oh. oh, I know. <laughs> so in terms of, um, you know, as yourself, as a business owner, um, obviously building a big 
private practice now um, and doing that training and I guess hearing a lot of um, in the work you do a lot of um, you know vicarious trauma that you might receive from hearing stuff that you hear um, what do you do for your own well-being and mental health to keep yourself in check I know you mentioned coaching but is there anything else that you would recommend that you do yeah well I love my beautiful dog Willow and I find animals are a way that I can really, I guess, shed the stress of, of the day and essentially just let my, my playful inner child, so to speak, really come and have a bit of fun. So I do a lot of rolling around on the floor, a lot of just literally just being silly. I love being able to just decompress that way and I find animals help me to do that. I also find that walking willow every day also gives me I guess a reason to get out and to get fresh air and to exercise. I'm, I'm, I'm you know, one to to um, neglect exercise. I don't actually enjoy exercise very easily. I tend to overwork. That's my difficulty. But I find okay. that exercise is is important. Um, as I mentioned, with the idea of mindful living, I certainly find mindfulness practices and even just pausing and taking you know, slow, deep breaths and feeling my feet on the ground and naming in my mind, you know, some things that I can see around me or hear around me or touch, uh, essentially yeah. to drop an anchor or to get grounded in the present moment. I find those are very important and helpful practices. Yeah. I have certainly had my own therapy on and off over the, the years, and that is included via telehealth, actually, by therapists that are not always in Melbourne. And I certainly think that having... Our own personal therapy is very important to being a good therapist, but also just maintaining good mental fitness and well-being. It's interesting yeah. you mentioned before about if we, you know, we're training as as as, a, as an athlete, we would get either coaching or PT. And yeah. in the same way, I think for our mental fitness and well-being, we need training, as it were. And 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 therapy yeah. is a really great thing in that regard. And I think also for me, it's it's also just sharing openly with my partner and with people in my family that I love um, how I'm feeling and just talking openly as much as possible and try not to to go it alone. Um, I, I feel that connecting and, and sharing my concerns and um, I'm a talker. It doesn't take much to get me chattering about my feelings, but certainly talking <laughs> about how I how I'm. Um, Travelling is, is very important for me as well. Yeah, no, that's so important. And I think um, knowing, like, having a place for different people in your life, like I know when we've gone through something um, really hard in our lives, it's important to um, obviously let people in to support you, your friends and family, but don't treat them as your therapist. I think, um, some, you know, when someone's gone through a divorce or through something that's really like, um, you know, grief and loss, someone's close to them's died, like, you know, having that kind of balance of because um, it's, you know, it's hard on your friends and family seeing you struggle and go through stuff. And if they know you've got a therapist or you've got someone that you're talking to as well, it kind of takes a bit of pressure off them to feel like, oh, we have to be everything to this person in this season. Um, I know for myself um, it's helped, you know, my family and friends to know that I've been getting help outside of them, you know. Um, so getting a balance of the two I think is really important uh, as as humans to do that through different times in our lives. So um, definitely, you know, reach out for help because there's so much out there and, and you know, look into mindful living if this is something that you think you might need for, for yourself or your colleagues or your business. Um, it's, it's amazing that you're able to, you know, offer so many different services in one, in one business. So that's amazing. Um, and I really appreciate your time today sharing what you have with us and, 
and our chat. And um, is there, a, to finish off, is there a favourite quote that you love that displays that grit and grace um, in life and leadership that you'd like to share? Yeah. There's, there's several that have been rattling around in my mind and the one that's resonating for me today is the idea of progress over perfection. I have a tendency to be very, very hard on myself and to be perfectionistic, and I find that that is a really helpful reminder. Progress over perfection, that aiming for perfection both is unattainable and also really inefficient because it often leads to procrastination or overdoing, overthinking, overworking something or just increased stress and yeah. and distress and so that's a, a lovely point that I find helps to to keep me anchored in in what's important which is to just get started and to accept that we make mistakes and I make mistakes and that that's okay and that we are evolving and we are learning and that that's all part of the process. Yeah I think that's so um, important and it's um, something I actually was saying to my team yesterday we do a wellbeing check-in every Monday morning um, and we say, what are we doing for our mind, body and soul this week? And then we say, out of 10, how we over, uh, is our overall mental health or how are we feeling? Um, and it's just something we do as a little check-in. It takes 15 minutes. You know, three of us will go around and share. Um, but it's been something I've had to teach my team because they uh, naturally don't think about their well-being and mental health like I do because um, I've had to go through a lot. To, so I need to be proactive with it. Um, and uh, we were saying, I was saying to them how like I was struggling to fit in an hour of exercise each time because of everything I'm doing. Um, but last week I tried just doing 30 minutes, like um, a few times a week. And I was like, even if it's just 30 minutes, I'm going to quickly go and do a quick session in the gym and then come back. And I was finding I was so much more energized and focused in my work by having that break. Um, and I was encouraging them, you know, at lunchtime to go for a 30 minute walk, you know, like don't just eat and then go back to your desk. Like, you know, taking that time out. And, um, you know, I only had 30 minutes for a swim at the gym um, the other day. And I was like, I'm just going to do 30 minutes. Like, it's not my usual. I normally do 40 minutes, but I was like, I'm just going to do 10 minutes less and I'm still going to get it done. And um, it was that progress, you know, not perfection. It's not always every week. You're not always going to have the time to do these things, but just doing something, <laughs> just that progress, taking a step of action, regardless of how long you have is just so powerful, right? Yeah, I so, agree. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciated our chat. And if you'd like to um, get in touch with uh, Caroline and her team, how would we do that? Yeah, so mindfulliving.com.au is how yeah. folk can find out about the wonderful practice that I run in Melbourne. And as I mentioned before, we do offer telehealth services across Australia as well. And my website, carolineburrows.com.au, is where people can find out about my EMDR training and consulting work. If someone's a mental health professional and would like to learn about that therapy uh, for, for their own clinical work, I'd be delighted to support that. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Caroline. We look forward to chatting again soon. Thank you, Kate. It's been lovely to be here. Thank you all for jumping on and listening in today. We really appreciate it. Uh, we have had an amazing 
eight set series session series of this uh, new podcast and live videos, and I've been loving doing sharing them with you all. If you would, um, we're going to have a two week break now coming up, and we cannot wait to share some more amazing people. I'm going to interview in the months to come, but thank you all so much for getting behind this and supporting us. And um, keep following on and listening to um, episodes as they come. Thank you so much.